0: Rockheads, stop reading the New York frickin' Times and listen up! It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the Internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Masiolek here to announce show number eighty-seven with guest Jay Rocks, recorded live Friday, October 29th, two thousand and four. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter and now offering hands on VBNet, ASPNet, and C sharp classes online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost effective reporting for Windows forms and ASPNet web applications online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine. Microsoft technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who filed for bankruptcy after being wiped out for paying off the New York Times, Carl Franklin. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jeff. What an interesting week it has been. And uh, here to discuss that with me, as always, is my partner in crime out there in Portland, Oregon rory blythe how are you doing mr blythe
2: i was in the new york times go ahead say it i was in the new york times go ahead carl no no you want to say it come on no come on Uh, i i do (laughs) i am gonna brag all i have to say is congratulations i got got the email um i saw i saw the one from scoble and uh and that was awesome you guys got your photo in there and everything i mean i'm pretty good but you know this week obviously um the big news is That you and Jeff wound up in the New York Times. And And I must say, and it might make everybody out there uncomfortable, but I thought, I thought Jeff looked really sexy in that photo. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. No, Jeff looked really good. Like, that's that's like dating material. Like, if you go up on Match.com, that's the kind of photo you want to use, you know? And you, my friend, are bearded. I it, That it yeah, made me realize it. how long it's been since I was in Connecticut. It's true. You know?
1: It's uh, something I do every winter. It's one of the few male rituals I have left that's socially acceptable, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Everything that's, that's else cool. has been yeah. castrated off of me, so... <laughs>
2: That's good. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. W- I mean, well, you, you need a beard anyway, I guess, for the wintertime out there. That's for catching like the dribbling ale yes. you know, that comes over filling out of your... And
1: the spittle
2: when I sleep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. um, the, so what you're, we're talking about is the New York Times did do an article on podcasting. It wasn't on us, but they did an article on podcasting. And since we were local and uh, the, the photographer was local and the guy, uh, Sarus Farivar, mm-hmm. uh, he was he was local. He was visiting his aunt in Hartford. And he thought he'd come down and, and do a story, uh, you know, take, do an interview and stitch me into the story. As it turned out, I really only had a couple of quotes in the story, but they did take this awesome picture of Jeff and I at the board sort of doing some editing. And if you want to read it, you can go to uh, shrinkster.com slash 1WJ. And uh, if you don't have or already have a New York Times online account, which is free if you give them some demographic info – and you just want to you don't really want to create one and you just want to read the story you can use one that we set up which is podcasting podcasting so the username is podcasting password is podcasting and uh that's just in case you don't plan on coming back to the new york times and you only care about that one but uh, but anyway um Rory you were in the new york times before so you know
2: yeah yeah it's true i'm i'm, I'm making i'm making fun of you you know but the truth is yeah i mean you know, it's like that's a, it's like nothing to me anymore. I mean, totally yeah. old hat. You know, <laughs> I mean, We're, it I took like, us that long Carl. to catch up to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, that um, there was not a photo of me. I was I was like a. I don't even remember the context of the article. I was like a sub note under a message about like Ouija boards or something like that. It was something in the in the <laughs> weird no, section. No, it was yes,
1: about it was. your RSS yes, for was. charity, which was a very yeah. cool thing that you do. Yeah, um, tell us about that, by the way. What is that? Oh, RSS for exactly. Charity. all yeah, right
2: right. It's the... For those of you who don't know about it, I just got it up and working again. It was down for a while because uh, my really cool web hosting service um, went on ahead and started switching around IP addresses and passwords and things from my SQL server uh, instance, which is which is a really cool thing to do without telling the person who's using it. And it's <laughs> it's sort of like um, taking somebody's car and removing it from where they had left it and then moving it to like another zip code, right? <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's really funny. So... Um, But now it works and RSS for Charity is a thing that I set up. It's a set of Amazon RSS feeds. You can customize the feeds and whenever you buy something through these feeds the dough goes into my checking account. I keep track of how much dough goes in there and I kind of average it out and then I ship some of the dough off to charity and right now what it's doing is it is paying for uh basically just like the daily life of this girl in the Philippines named Ma who turned five this year I do believe and um yeah. It's, 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 it's been pretty cool. And I, I wanted to find a way to awesome. be able to contribute to charity while being a developer without actually having to take money out of my pocket. Just right. because a lot of people get into the Habitat for Humanity and they're like, well, I've got these opposable thumbs I'll use them to build <laughs> toilets and stuff like that. But if I tried to build a toilet with my opposable thumbs, you know, people would die. <laughs> okay, you know they go to try to use it, they get sucked down inside of the sewer. It'd be really bad. I can't use them for that. My imposable yeah. thumbs were made for holding Mountain Dew. All right. So I went ahead and I coded and cool. it, it, it seemed to uh, seemed to work out. So well, well Rory, cool.
1: in in honor of Halloween, which uh, is happening this week, in fact you're probably listening to the show on or after Halloween, we uh, have a little pre show warm up that we wanted to uh bring out and scare everybody with, and it goes something like this. Ugh, it's
3: creepy. I think
4: I'll
1: play this when the kids come to the door. <laughs>
2: did did you make this or did you find it no we made it you dorks oh my god that's awesome
1: (sighs) we came in early before the show (laughs)
3: Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, what do you
2: think of that, guys? <laughs> you weirdos. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, this is what Jeff and I do when we have too much time on our hands.
2: <laughs> oh, when you're not being interviewed by the New York Times. <laughs> oh, man.
1: <laughs> well, uh, some more things Did that I... Did
3: I... I was interviewed by the New York Times? <laughs>
1: no, that's fine. That's cool. All right. Some other things... I'm just that... jealous. I'm just jealous. Well, uh, you shouldn't be jealous because... You're not going to believe if you're coming to the party in Las Vegas, which, by the way, we have a place now. It's going to be at Home Plate. Home Plate is a place just a couple miles from Mandalay Bay, just off the Strip in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. We're going to be there Saturday, November 6th from 6 p.m. uh, till people fall down. And uh, (laughs) while we're there, uh, the following Monday, something is going to happen after the Dev Connections thing that is just going to be outrageous and, and, Rory, you're going to have a, uh, a big part in it. But, well, anyway, I want to tell people about the party. We have a URL, um, and I'll shrink it down for people. It's uh, going to be shrinkster.com slash 1WP, and it's uh, registration for the Rock's insanely serious Las Vegas bash. It's open to the public, and um, some of our previous guests, Mark Miller, Kevin McNish, Russ Festino, Don Kylie, Nicholas Landry, Julie Lerman— Kathleen Dollard, Don Demsack, Don XML, Bob Russellman, Marcus Egger, Brian Noyes, Michelle LaRue Bustamante, and, and others that are joining uh, are going to be there as well. They're I'm gonna all going to be there? They're all going to be there. Sweet. I'm oh, going to be okay. there. R- R- Rory's going to be there. Jeff's going to be there. Kirk and Richard. Uh, Richard, you're going to be there, right?
3: Yeah, I'll be there, Bob. No worries.
1: Yeah. And Sunny Day, Randy Judkins, is going to be there. So he's going to be, like, juggling and, and goofing around and stuff. And we're just going to get tanked and eat some wings and, and watch uh, the premiere of the .NET Rocks movie on one of their – or all of their 15 uh, uh, large-screen TVs. Uh, so that's – and in Las Vegas, Nevada, there's a phone number, there's a sh- sign-up sheet, and links to nearby hotels, which you can get, uh, say, at the Luxor from 199 And And, uh, you know, I was looking for major cities that you can get to Las Vegas a, a ticket for a couple hundred bucks, so – uh, so check it out. Go to the party and
2: have fun with us. A couple other things that I- <laughs> oh, no, what? You know, somebody just said something in the chat room, and I I just realized I shouldn't even have laughed because it's going to make people wonder. I'm going to leave it out. Um, yeah, yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, I see. <laughs> hookers, no hookers. <laughs> there will not be hookers at the Donner party. <laughs> <laughs> This is one of the perks. provided at the .NET Rocks party. It's one of the perks of uh, <laughs> of listening to the live show. You can sort of hang out in the chat room and make lewd comments. Um, but I also have big news that I want to announce a new show that we're doing called Mondays. Uh, it's, we're going to start on November 15th, and it's going to be another show like .NET Rocks That's you can download on Mondays. It's going to be a two-hour show. Uh, we're going to have Google Weirdos. The Weird Wide Web, Ask Rory, Richard the Toy Boy. Uh, We're going to play music from original unsigned bands and artists that we like that send us their stuff. And a few new bits that we're going to surprise you with. And as well, we're going to interview non-programmers. That's right. It's a general interest talk show that has all of the flavor of .NET Rocks with the same people. And that may lead you to ask the question, well, what about .NET Rocks? Well, .NET Rocks isn't dying. It's not going anywhere. In fact, it's, it's going back to its roots. .NET Rocks is going to be a one-hour-ish show uh, with me and with Rory, and uh, we're going to interview the people that we interview on every show, which is really what .NET Rocks is all about. And so we're going back to just a, an interview without the bits, without the bits. We're still going to be ourselves. It's still going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be a relaxed conversation. Nothing has changed in terms of the interview. Uh, but we are going to move things around a little bit because we want to. You know, I think that you know all these bits and and us and the stories that we tell—they're worth other people besides the programming community listening to. Don't you think?
2: And it, it makes the most sense too. You know, a lot of right. people have said, "You know, can we just get the programming stuff?" But obviously, you and I. And and Jeff and and Richard and everybody else want to do a show that has all the other bits because it makes it a lot of fun for us. Right, so, exactly. So this makes sense. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have Donnet Rocks go back to being just .dot net, which is I think that'll be really cool. I do too. And I will feel I'll personally feel better about the show. Yeah. Because we will we will have that separation. So I think I think this is like the solution to solving all the different you know. I, issues I really do too. I you know, and yeah. for
1: those who love the current format, hey, now you get three hours of great stuff. You get two hours of wackiness and an hour of interview in.NET. So, you know, if you have an hour and a half ride to work, there you go. You can listen to Half on the Way and Half on the Way Home. Uh we came up, we, we tried to come up with a tagline. The the website for Mondays, by the way, is Mondays.pWOP.com. That's Mondays.pwop.com. No, it's not pregnant without permission.
4: That's <laughs> not what that
1: stands for, although that is an acronym from the World War II era, I found out. <clears throat> but uh, it's it's really the sound of a forehead slap. Pwop. That's what that is. So mondaystoppwop.com. Well, you, you'd have to lick
2: your hand first.
1: Yes, you would. And it's not necessarily your forehead either. So, or uh, your spit. I mean, I'm <laughs> just saying. Are your hand. Matter. Just wet hand against a forehead. That's what it's all about. Pwop. So mondaystoppwop.com. And we, we basically had a contest for, to come up with a tagline. Because the tagline, as Rory pointed out in our emails uh, back and forth, The tagline really has to get people. It really has to, you know, reach out and and shake them by the balls. You know what I mean? It really has to – did (laughs) I I just say that? I think
2: the word I used was differentiate, but, you know, shaking by the balls or whatever. I I can't
1: believe I just said that. But anyway, (laughs) it really does have to, you know, sort of slap you in the face. So we came up with just a whole bunch, some of which are so disgusting I can't even allude to what they were. But if you go to my blog at uh, weblogs.asp.net – Slash C. Franklin, you can read all of the ones that people entered in, and we basically were going to give away. And we did, we we had a contest to come up with the best tagline, and the winner got a uh, a $300 shopping spree at thinkgeek.com. And as it turns out, the winner we didn't use, we used one of Rory's actually because we really liked it, but there was a runner up, and the runner up was um, John Amick, and he came up with this tagline embrace the suck which i really liked that one but and but we we eventually went with rory's uh, what sunday threw up which i think is really good and uh, but anyway we wanted to give john uh his think geek uh shopping spree and he did actually come up with something uh new he came up with something to buy which is an archos multimedia jukebox Uh, So he's going to be winning that. Congratulations, John. And also, uh, we had uh, an iPod winner here on the show a couple of weeks ago. A guy from Australia, John Lee, uh, won an iPod, which was a toy we're giving away because Richard wasn't on the show and we were talking about podcasting and stuff. And so I got an email from John who received his iPod uh, with .NET Rocks episodes on it. And other music and stuff. And he says, hi, Carl. I would just like to thank you again for the wonderful 158 gigs of musical bliss that arrived yesterday. Is that 158 grams? I don't know what that means. 158 gigs. That would be ridiculous. Um, I converted all the DNR episodes of which there are now 5.48 gigs. Okay, there you go. Overnight to AAC. And I'm now in the customary re-listening of past episodes. Oh, and the first album I put on was Franklin Brothers' Strange Communication, followed by Rory's first song. One of the little problems I discovered with winning stuff from the U.S., the U.S. plug and the Australian plugs are different. Luckily, I have other Apple products and the plugs are interchangeable, so I still use it. Uh, I can still use it and don't have to buy another plug. And no harm done. Looking forward to more great stuff from you guys with Mondays. <laughs> And uh, the last thing before we get to uh, the news, and Rory, um, before I say this, did did you comment on Dvorak in the news? Oh, you bet
2: I did. That was um, when he was uh, talking smack about um, how it was time to get rid of Microsoft Word. And, no, 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 and, no, no. Uh, no. I,
1: I I mean the new one, podcasting not ready for primetime. Oh, crap. No, I didn't see that one. No, All right, I'll tell the last one I'll well, 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 I'll, week, talk, okay? Okay? I'll talk about it and you can react to it. Okay, here we go. Okay. Also, uh, before we get to the news, um, I just want to comment on a, an article that John C. Dvorak, or Dvorak, if you have the correct pronunciation or the incorrect, I don't know which is which, uh, he wrote this article, an opinion article, Podcasting, Not Ready for Prime Time. And you can read it at shrinkster.com slash 1WI. And uh, basically, and I quote, he says, It's a kludge that doesn't work as advertised unless you have a Macintosh and an iPod, which is just insanely wrong. And I I pointed out to him in an email or a letter that I left in the forum that I was just teaching a class the other day where uh, somebody asked me, what is podcasting? And I downloaded iPodder from iPodder.org, the Windows version, installed it subscribed to a .NET Rocks feed and had downloaded it and was listening to it all within about five minutes. So I don't know what he's talking about. He thinks that you have to have a Mac and an iPod. I had neither, and I did it in five minutes. And I really have no idea why why he's having such a problem uh, getting his software to work. And I think maybe we should all donate our old dummies books to John Dvorak (laughs) so that – <clears throat> so that he's obviously having some trouble, you know, figuring things out and, you know, with the thing with Word and the thing kept popping up and, and you know, I really think that, you know, with the proper guidance and a little help from a youngster who knows a little, you know, how to get around a computer, he might actually enjoy his computing experiences, so.
2: Well, plus he's just a dickhead. <laughs> and, the, I mean, the way podcasting works, I mean, podcasting, well, okay, RSS enclosures are not new, right? But people are just kind of waking up to the idea of podcasting or or of using the enclosures the way they're being used here. And saying that they aren't ready for prime time is just like the stupidest argument in the universe. I mean, I I don't think anybody would ever argue that any technology is ready for prime time until about five years after it's been at least in circulation. It's going to be used by hobbyists and and enthusiasts and things like that in the meantime. But I mean, it has to go through some sort of a trial stage. He's, He's arguing against an argument that isn't even there. That's no, one of the things that bothers me. Yeah, well you'll wanna... have to you have to read the article and and I can't wait
1: until Rory Rory just found out about this article. I can't wait until uh until you've read it and, and have a
2: chance to comment on it. I just want to Sorry. smack him with a wet fish, you know? I hate <laughs> that guy. I cannot stand him. He is such he is such a bitch. But anyway, go on. Well, anyway. So uh
1: so Rory, uh I guess it's time for the news of the week and uh just to prime you up a little bit. News of the week with Rory Blythe.
5: Now, obey.
1: So, what what happened this week in Newsland, Roy?
2: All right. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's this guy, Joel Spolsky, joelonsoftware.com. Rather big site, rather well known guy. Used to work at Microsoft, now runs Fog Creek. And he's putting together a collection of what um, will hopefully be the year's best essays on the web. I think he's going to select something like 30. And a couple of my posts have been nominated. And I mean, I'm not like suggesting anything like that. All the listeners rush over there and start suggesting. John, Safri selected my
5: essay. John, (laughs) Safri selected my essay.
2: As I was saying, um, <clears throat> I am not suggesting that it be run over there and start suggesting that uh, or start nominating my posts in in the feed. But, I mean, if you wanted to do that, and I'm not asking you to do this, and I would never, ever suggest <laughs> it, I'm just thinking out loud, if anybody wanted to do that, then you could do that by going to shrinkster.com slash 1WL and just start, you know, recommending the hell out of, out of my writing. Not that that's what I want. It's just that I would feel very, very, very <laughs> proud if I got to be included in a collection of essays that was edited by Joel Spolsky. He's a great writer, and he's one of those guys that you know, I've always kind of been into. So we should, we've you know, actually had, We've had uh, suggestions
1: not, to have him on the show
2: before, and uh, he'd be a good guy to have on. Uh, well, he'd I be think. incredible. It'd, be, it'd yeah. be really interesting, too, because of the way his shop works. They haven't moved to right. .NET, and he has a lot of interesting opinions about .NET, um, not all of them positive or negative. He just has a very real-world view of the way things are going and they sell a shrink wrap product so uh there's some interesting stuff but yeah so head over there and start nominating me i mean if you want so the next (laughs) one is um there's this guy uh his name is sean burke and he's suing microsoft because like the cd train is xbox broke or something or, or it's not reading cds or dvds and uh i mean this this drives me nuts you know there's enough really stupid frivolous lawsuits out in the universe already so the guy had his xbox for a year and uh and it stopped working properly you know, but that, that's just life in the retail world, you know? Right. Like, you go in, you get your uh, you, you get your X-Men comic, you know? And what are you going to do? Like, sue Marvel because, like, one of the pages got torn? I think that's really irritating. Or, like, sue a publisher because the ink is fading in your book. It's just part of life, right? And I can't stand the idea that there's another person bringing another lawsuit against Microsoft for another stupid reason and... uh I mean, if we were going to clog up the, the legal system with any more frivolous lawsuits, the only one I'd really want to do is going after Sean Burke and suing him for being a total bitch. So the next one <laughs> is um, LucasArts. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the URL for that is shrinkster.com slash 1WM. So the next one is, uh, is LucasArts has launched a new module for Star Wars Galaxies, which, which is its massively multiplayer online playing, role playing massively online game on the interweb game. And uh, in the edition is approximately something like 600,000 new cubic miles of virtual game world with over 100,000 new ways of absolutely not getting a date ever. So the URL for that is, <laughs> is shrinkster.com slash 1WN, um, you know, really good place to go. What's, what's the name of the game again? It's called uh, Galaxies, and it's one of these games where you go online and... Right. And you adopt a whole persona for yourself yeah. in yeah, this poorly 3D world, and you go around and you you shoot things so that you can get like points and money. And in yeah. order to do anything interesting in the game, you have to have like five million dollars. It's kind of like when you try to buy a stuffed animal with skee ball tickets, <laughs> you know. And uh, and it takes like seven thousand skee ball tickets to get a stuffed animal that costs three dollars <laughs> in real life. Yeah. If you could even sell it, it's like stuffed you put with oily five hundred dollars into together. the yeah. skee ball machines, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's the same principle, except that you get to be like a Wookie, right? <laughs> So the, the the next one is um is uh one by one this week. Um I gloriously kicked podcast naysayer ass in an argument that spanned several days. And if anybody yes, wants it was some awesome. more, I've got more ass kicking fuel where that came from so you can just step right up and smell that I'm going to waste you. Um that was at my <laughs> site neapoleon.com. Just go ahead and look for the podcasting stuff. I'm ready, you know, if you want to step up to the plate and, you know, deal with it. That- that was a great great argument <laughs> well I get I hate when somebody comes along sees a technology that's interesting and that has promise and and that is not currently uh, you know everything Utilized. It could be obviously but it yeah, has a yeah. lot of promise and starts ragging on it you know well
1: uh, and judging judging by the content that's being used that it's being used with right uh-huh. so there so that people are judging podcasting by what they hear people using it for yeah and and that you know that that's not what it is. got to understand what it is and what its potential is.
2: Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's just so much whining, and people will go I to know. any level to, to naysay something when they decide they're going to be a naysayer. Like some guy I was think, arguing about bandwidth. Yeah. He's like, okay, great. So yeah. um, we're going to be pushing these 30 meg files out over the web, huh? That's going to use up a lot yeah. of bandwidth. And I'm like, look, without podcasting, if you have yeah. a 30 meg file and you need to push it over the web, it's still 30 megs.
1: Plus oh. there's uh, some really cool stuff going on with BitTorrent. Right. And, yeah. you know, iPodder supports BitTorrent, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so, so, if people put out their podcasts with BitTorrent instead of HTTP downloads, then when everybody's iPodder goes to get it, you're going to get it a lot faster yeah. because you're using other BitTorrent peer to peer servers and picking yeah. up bits and pieces from different uh, servers. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, it's definitely, bandwidth isn't a problem. I mean, it's going to be a problem, but bandwidth isn't an issue with podcasting. It's always an issue regardless of podcasting, but there are ways to deal with it.
2: Yeah. But yeah. And, and then finally, just to end everything on a nice note, um, Craig Andira, who is pretty well known in the community. I met him on Chris Sell's uh, Windows Off Topic list Um just became a dad. So that's at shrinkster.com slash one W O. That's the letter O. So congratulations, Craig. I know you don't listen to the show, or at least I'm pretty sure you don't listen to the show. He's one of the plural psych guys, but all the same, I wanted to get a shout out there for Craig. He's a very nice guy. So congrats. And all that right. is the news.
1: And that is the news. Thanks, Rory.
5: Now obey.
1: Well, a couple of weeks ago, somebody on the show, um, somebody sent us an email saying we should have the guy who did the String Builder on to talk about that, uh, you know, who wrote the String Builder and talk about the String Builder in depth. And I said, yes, we should have Jay Rocks on. He's the guy uh, at Microsoft. And that was actually his past life. In his current uh, life, in his current role, he is the product manager for Visual Basic at Microsoft. And uh, so he's responsible for product planning, technical evangelism, and external communication. But before that, as I said, he was the development lead on the .NET Framework, where he had responsibility for the base class libraries. So he's got a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, He has a BSE in computer science from Princeton University and an MBA from the Amos Tuck School of Business. We welcome Jay Rocks. Hey, Jay, how are you?
6: Hey, Carl. Hey, guys. How's it going?
1: Hey. Good to talk to you.
6: Always good to be back on the show. Yes, it indeed.
1: Um, you were. You've been on the show in little pieces, but you've never yeah, I guess been this a guest. Is the first
6: time I haven't just done a cameo on the show.
1: Right, right. And uh, were you on the Dev Days show? I can't remember.
6: I, I was on the Dev Days show, and That's then I right. came. I've been on a couple more times to talk about some of the stuff we're doing in VB. Right, but That's we're right. in sort of the way back machine when we start going and talking about what I did when I was working here as a dev.
1: Now a lot of people don't really know who who you are, and and so for many of our listeners, this is an introduction to Jay. So just tell lay a couple of uh, classes that you've written in the framework on us, and sort of will to establish your your studliness.
6: <laughs> okay. Um, way back, well, let me just give you the history because I joined the what is now the .NET framework team or the Common Language Runtime team back in I guess it was November of '97. Back when it was called Project Lightning, then it became ComPlus, then it became Project 42, right. then we had this nice little reorg that made it Project 21, <laughs> and it went through a whole bunch of other names before... 42,
1: became, half of... Twice for 21, I get it. yeah, yeah.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we lost half the team. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I was... I wrote things like String and String Builder and did... Wrote the initial implementation, although didn't own forever all of the base types, like int, integer and double and wow. all of those. Um, did some of the work on object and was dev lead for the IO classes, the globalization, and a bunch of the collections
2: work as well. Hey, Jay, do you mind if I interrupt real quick to ask you a couple questions? Just because I'm already really curious about some things. Um, first of all, and this was brought up during one of the MSDN events I did this week uh, in... in in Eugene and Corvallis, Oregon. Um, why is string sealed?
6: Uh, why is string sealed? Okay. Because we do a lot of um, magic tricks in string okay. to try and make sure that we can optimize for things like comparisons
2: mm-hmm. for
6: as, to make them as fast as we possibly can. So we're stealing bits off of pointers and other things in there. Oh, okay. To mark things up and say, for example, just to give you an example, if a string has, I didn't know this when I started, but if a string has a hyphen or an apostrophe in it, it sorts differently than if it just has text in it.
4: And wow. the algorithm okay. for
6: sorting it with a hyphen or an apostrophe, if you're doing globally aware sorting, is pretty mm-hmm. complicated. So we actually mark whether or not the string has that type of behavior. You
1: also it. reuse memory if, it, if the string hasn't changed and you create a new string, right?
6: That's down in String Builder.
2: Oh, okay. I thought it was in a string. So what you're kind of saying is that, is that in the string world, if you didn't seal string, there would be a whole lot of room for really wreaking a lot of havoc if people were trying to subclass it.
6: Yeah, it, exactly. We, it would change the entire layout of the object. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to play a lot of the tricks that we play that pick up a lot of speed.
2: Okay, and, and question cool. number two that I have bef- before I'm going to you know, let this all go on just because I'm too curious is, <laughs> did you happen to look at the source, at the uh, mono implementations for the um, classes you worked on just to see, just to compare how they were done in the other side of the world?
6: I haven't. Hmm. I actually haven't looked at any of that. Um, I, the stuff that I worked on, or at least some of it, is out um, through the Shared Source Common Language Initiative, Mm-hmm. But I haven't gone over and done the comparative implementation with Mono.
2: Oh, okay. okay. I was just curious because I th- are you are you even curious about how they did it, or are you just sort of like you know that's in a past life now?
6: Um, I'm sort of curious about how they did it, but I've mm-hmm. spent so much of my time recently just working with um some of the things we're trying to do in Visual Basic
4: mm-hmm.
6: that there are times when um I just sort of need to draw the line. Right. And choose how much time I'm spending on this and how much time I'm spending trying to get into podcasting and the other stuff.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> anytime a guest says anytime a okay. guest says podcasting, we're gonna like play some music or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Well I, I uh I will step back into the uh into the background now and please continue with the uh Well no, interview. I mean that's what that's what you're here for, right? So, um you
1: you said that you worked on system object and system string and when I asked you about the the memory reuse in the string uh and you said it was in string builder, down in string builder. That doesn't mean that does the string class use string builder?
6: String doesn't use string builder, but string builder uses string.
1: Well, I knew that, yeah.
6: So, um
1: so when so like if I say if I set a string, you know, data equals hello, and then I say data, uh, you know, dim data2 as string equals uh, hello. Mm-hmm. Are both of those strings pointing to the same memory? Like, is that word hello in the same place?
6: Um, I- yeah. If you're dealing with constant strings like uh-huh. that, it will be. But that's more compiler magic than right. it has anything to do with the string class. I because I did, yeah go ahead what we've um done is actually pushed that memory into the intern pool mm. so i mean you could do something yeah
1: i did see a a demo with uh, a, a talk at dev connections actually with dan appleman i think it was called why did they do that or something like that and uh you know he was talking about pointers and how people are like oh but it doesn't have pointers net doesn't have pointers whatever you know and uh he took a look. He he basically used some API call to to access memory directly in the managed heap, and uh, and and it looked like uh, that you know you couldn't <laughs> that that memory was being shared by two variables if they were the same, if they had the same data. I, I can't remember exactly what he did. We'll have to ask him about that. But uh,
6: yeah, I didn't see Dan's weird. Um, sample there, so I'm not exactly sure what he was looking.
1: But at. anyway, that's I was just curious about it. Um, but I'm, what I'm really curious about, Jay, is the string builder. I mean, it's magic to people. I mean, I show that to people, and they just can't believe the difference in speed. Um, so the you know if I which I, uh, the, difference in speed? Well, the classic demo that I do for people is I, I take a, a for next loop, right? And I go to ten thousand for i equals one to ten thousand, and I append i2 string to another string. I just say, you know, some string ampersand equals i2 string. And it takes about a second on a 2 gigahertz machine, and then I put a zero. You're you're
6: doing a pretty high count then.
1: That's right, 10,000. And then I I put a zero on it, make it 100,000, and then it's like, you know, a minute goes by, and we're still, we're not even past 40,000 yet, Mm -hmm. because it's compounding the size of the string, and the garbage collector's kicking in, and all sorts of crazy things are happening. And then I do it with a string builder, and it's immeasurable. It's like in the milliseconds, 100,000, a million, you know?
6: Yep, because you're only actually using the string when you get out of the loop, right? Right.
1: So what's going on in there when I'm doing that in a loop and I'm appending two string using the string
6: builder? Sure. When you're appending the two string what we actually do is create a new string every time that, like... So every, time, every time you actually run that, we'll create the string 1, and then we'll create the string 1, 2, and then we'll create the string one two three, And although that might be useful for counting the number of dates you're going to get after being in the New York Times, <laughs> it's probably not <laughs> what the people are really looking for. <laughs> um, so, so the
1: new string com- is the complete string?
6: It's the complete string. String doesn't change. Hmm. It's pretty immutable. In fact, it's entirely immutable. And are you creating Um, a new... What you've actually done when you do the count from 1 to 10,000... Yeah. If you've created 10,000 instances of string...
1: Really? And you're using the string object?
6: Yeah. You've only got a reference to one of the strings. Okay. Which means you've got 9,999 of them on the floor.
1: Ready for garbage collection.
6: Ready for garbage collection. All right. Taken. you've taken the time to create all of those strings. And, I mean, you're up...
1: Your memory it's, is up. Yeah, it's
6: probably what thirty-seven thousand characters, give or take, in the last string. Yeah, so that's a pretty big string. Yeah. By the time you get all done.
1: Now, why is it so slow with just doing string equals string ampersand?
6: Well, you know, just I mean, not think using think a string builder. If you do a thirty, every time you create one of those, you do a thirty-seven thousand character copy. Right. And you're getting close to the end. Right. So just think of, I mean, each character is two bytes, so you're moving large amounts of memory and I'm sure one of your users the, or sorry, one of your listeners that has a calculator in front of them can figure out if you're moving call it thirty seven thousand characters times two bytes times ten thousand strings.
1: Wait a second though. How if you're creating a new string every time with a string builder, aren't you also copying?
6: No. That's actually um, that's actually the trick ah. that we play. Because what we do in string builder, when you're down, um, is we actually the string builder object itself points to a string, and we have some internal APIs on string that allow us to change that one string that you have. Mm-hmm. So if let's say you we you create the string builder with just one in it, okay, and then you add two, mm-hmm. so you. Normally, you would have created two string instances.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: We actually have a pointer to at that point it 's a hidden string where we can just create the string one two without having to copy it Now we have to do an occasional copy because when you get up to having a hundred characters in the string or whatever you have to we have to grow the string we have to grow the buffer okay just like you would with any like growable growable array yeah but what that means is we only have to copy it when we're out of memory not every single time we're going through okay. and then the trick is whenever you ask us for a pointer to that string mm-hmm. um, what we actually do With two is string when, whenever something? you ask us to the string so if you said string builder mm-hmm. dot two two string 2 string yeah what we do is just go in and give you back that string object and mark it as dirty okay so that if you had to go if you say wanted to add again, at that point we create another copy of the string.
1: Hmm. So, That's pretty tricky, but it's those internal APIs that make it that make it so much faster than than a straight copy, though, right? Yep,
6: yeah. and it means that anytime time you see a string, you can still count on it being immutable. Right. So we can take advantage of the fact that we kind of know some stuff about string right. to get you that higher performance.
1: Outside a string, you have no idea what what's going on with it. You just have a, a reference to a string. Yep. Yeah. And am I creating more object references in the string loop? Like a new object reference every time where versus only one reference in the string builder? Does that account for some of the speed?
6: Right. It, well, actually creating the... Object reference itself yeah. is pretty cheap. Most okay. of when we we did a lot of performance benchmarking, on mm-hmm. this is something we know people care about, mm. and it turns out that most of the time is actually spent doing the copy. Um, so creating the new instance of the string,
1: right? Okay, and
6: copying all the characters into it. Okay. So
1: mem copy,
6: whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wow. even if you've got pretty optimized. Even if you've got a pretty optimized mem copy, yeah. For those of you who grew up doing C programming, it's still that's still a lot of memory to be moving around.
1: And uh, why why isn't it in system? Why is it in system tax?
6: You know, I'm going to have I'm going to have to go back to my favorite quote from Casablanca on that one. <laughs> that's so long ago, I don't remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a trivial question, anyway, but uh, it has come up before.
6: Yep, I yeah. I don't remember why that went into, um, why that went into system text.
1: Was it was String Builder uh, thought of after, uh, you know, sometime after the the primitives and the string was conceived.
6: No, I mean it pretty much came along about the same time. I mean, obviously we did object and string first, right? Before we did String Builder, but architecturally, but it came though. along not that long. Probably only six months to a year after string came along. Yeah. So.
1: So you're on. You, you, yeah, go ahead.
6: Well, well, we ran into some of the same questions even pretty early on in development, mm-hmm. where we were looking at the number of strings being created, and it's like, wow, that's that's pretty high. Yeah. So.
1: It, it it's really cool to me thinking about what goes on at these you know at architectural meetings when you guys are sitting around sort of brainstorming about the, the classes that are going to the base class library. What is What are those meetings like? I mean, what, what what happens at those things? and And are they meetings or are they just, you know, submit your documentation and then we have some sort of, you know, what's that like, that whole process?
6: You know, it's really, it really varies from team to team and from sort of decision to decision. There were... But just going over some of the ones I worked on, and keep into account, I left develop I left the development group three years ago,
4: uh-huh.
6: so I'm sure they have sure. new ways of doing it on the team at this point. But, well, anyway, I mean, we would we we know we have to design something, mm-hmm. and we normally come in and do sort of the it's it's all done in meet or it was almost all done in meetings. Yeah, and somebody would come in and they'd present some idea they'd thought of, and then we'd basically argue a lot. Right. and go away, and we do trial implementations. And a number of these things were like, what were written some of those rewritten three wh- or four times?
1: What were some of those arguments? Um, if you don't remember, that's okay. Wow, you're, but you're
6: taking me way back here. Um, <laughs> I'm okay, just really one, curious. One I'd ones, love to be a fly one of the, on the ones wall. we spent a lot of time on. That's actually from um, that's actually in strength is mm-hmm. whether we talked a little bit about how you do the globalization. Um, oh, right, right. How you do the globalization comparison on strings? So how you do it so that if you're sorting text, it displays right around the world. Right. Um, wow. And That's a good. We spent a lot of, and that behaves differently on Windows 2000 than it does on Windows 98, because Windows 98 doesn't have Unicode. Right. So we spent a lot of time thinking about whether or not, gee, do we take all of the. Windows 2000 source and port it over so that we get constant behavior across the different operating systems and what does that mean in terms of size of the download in terms of time for us to implement it or do we just call the operating system Right. and we ended up making the decision um, to just we ported all the code so it behaves consistently across the operating system uh-huh. the only reason I remember that one is be, I mean that was probably a month long debate to figure that out And we were in the final review with one of the senior architects on this stuff. And he comes up and takes a look at the decision and goes, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) And we all kind of froze thinking we just had everything reversed. And he goes, you're going to put programmers all over the world into, like, out of business. Just because they've got so much less code to write now that they don't have to write.
1: And that's a bad idea.
6: (laughs) No, he thought it was a great idea. Oh, okay but he was just being totally sarcastic and uh, right, totally right, right. messed with us for a while right, there.
1: Right,
6: right, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, the... And a lot of what will come out of the design process here is we'll do the detailed specs and we'll be talking about it and we will have gone through a bunch of the practice. And then as people go through and actually start to implement it, a lot of the devs and a lot of the testers will come up with new things that... Um, Maybe it doesn't work as well once you actually put it into production or it turns out to be much slower to do it one way. So we'll come back and we'll revisit a lot of the designs.
1: Yeah. Hmm. That's, it's really cool. I, I mean, uh, you know, the kind of software meetings I've sat in are, you know, who's going to fix this bug and when is it going to be done and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, to design a framework like the, the .NET framework just seems – and the base class libraries, especially, seems like it'd be really, really cool. And oh, don't, don't,
6: don't get me wrong. There's a lot of the sitting in the meeting, going, "Okay, when are we going to fix this book?"
1: Sure, I Who's know. Having
6: problems. Who can review the documentation? I know. But in
1: that initial stage, when you're 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 sort of imagining the possibilities and you know what what cool things. I mean, you know, you look through looking through the framework. There are just you know thousands of classes and types in there that I'm I'm still finding hidden gems. Yeah,
6: it's really fun working on a v1 product i highly recommend it if you ever get a chance yeah um because while we had a bunch of things that we wanted to be backwards compatible with and i worked with a lot of those now in my current um role doing some of the stuff for vb right but which we will we, talk about I'm, i'm sure we will um but there were also a lot of things where we could say okay how would we do this if we had a clean sheet of paper right and figure it out from there so the clean sheet of paper part is nice
1: very and and how did a lot of those things get solved with windows ninety eight like there's there's a, are there features that don't work on windows ninety eight at all that in the framework like here's one and I don't know if you know about this in particular but like opacity isn't opacity like transform transparency window transparency a feature of two thousand and higher and yeah. how did how does that work in in ninety eight
6: you know that wasn't a part of the product I worked on, so I know I'm, I'm just really curious. not sure how that's going to work on Probably 98. Bad, bad question, but are, were there other things? Honest, I don't even have a Windows 98 box on my desk anymore. Virtual Virtual PC will save the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there were a lot of different questions that came up in my area. The decisions were a lot around the globalization stuff. Yeah, um, I know the Windows Forms team did a lot of work on the differences between the two. Um, mm-hmm. as I said, that's so long ago, I don't remember. Well, so I yeah. could, I'm no longer the one who could tell you exactly what the differences are. there. Well, for
1: one, I'm really glad that you guys looked forward and not backwards. And, you know, even though it was a painful transition for some people, I know, and some people it's still painful, but, you know, it's good medicine and, you know, for crying out loud, let's, let's move, move forward.
6: Well, and, I hear the Pepto Bismol actually came out with cherry Pepto the other day. People were complaining <laughs> about the taste. So hopefully some of the changes we've got coming in two thousand and five will make this not medicine. So they found a way to, to make Pepto Bismol taste worse. <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? Yeah. No, I think they made it I think they were trying to make it taste better.
1: And do people really take it for the taste? Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty.
2: <laughs> I can't relax with my cup of Pepto at night now. You know, I like to sit back by the fire with a snifter full of Pepto. Yeah, put a little ice in there. You know, <laughs> swizzle it around.
6: <laughs> yeah, personally, I'll keep my glass of Lafroig. But you guys are,
1: hey, I'm I'm with, with you. Pepto. I'm with you there. In fact, it's been a while since we broke out the Scotch on the show ever since I got uh, some hate mail. You know about I'm getting busted. wasted yeah. on .NET rocks. Uh, but anyway.
2: So Jay, here's a question for you about about globalization. Um, what character set does Esperanto use? Um, Did you guys just not care about Esperanto?
1: What is Esperanto?
2: Esperanto is an invented language that was constructed, I think, in the mid nineteenth century. I'm pretty sure by a Polish scholar of some sort. And the whole idea was that it should be a global language that everybody could learn and use in approximately fifteen minutes. And it has, you know, elements of different uh, Romance languages, and there's a little bit of influence from from other languages as well, and uh, it's extraordinarily simple. And when I was thinking about Jay talking about, you know, meetings and about all the design work that went on, I thought, you know, if I had been in that position, I seriously would have considered whether or not I wanted to write this whole global... If I wanted to do all the support for globalization or if I wanted to basically take Microsoft's resources and convert the entire world to one character set and to one language, you know, it would really be a toss-up when you have 50 (laughs) billion in the bank, what you're going to do and which way you're going to (laughs) go.
6: Well... We never really considered the idea of changing the entire world to Esperanto.
2: Ah, see, that's because I wasn't on the team. Yes, I'm an idea guy. See, I would have thrown that out there for you guys, but that's cool. That's fine.
1: Can you believe that Rory works for your company now? uh...
6: (laughs) You know... There were crazier ideas that surfaced at various
2: times during the project anyway. (laughs) Or like Microsoft Bob, for example. There have been lots of crazy ideas. Hey, we
1: don't say the B word on this show, (laughs) especially with a Microsoft – all right, well, anyway. Good good joke. All right. Yeah, move on. So uh, Sahil from the chat room says, question for J-Rocks. How to convert byte array – byte array, right, to a string and don't rely on my using ASCII or any standard
6: character set? Um, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the code on that. I believe we assume that you're giving us a um, Unicode byte array unless you actually specify an encoding on that. So we're we're pretty much going to assume that it's Unicode.
1: Because basically, anytime you use string data in general or character data, it's Unicode by default, right?
6: Right. We have encodings and encoders that will take it to and from any one of the different code pages Very that you cool want to stuff. work with.
1: Very cool stuff, by the way.
6: But everything we do internally is um, Unicode. And for any Unicode geeks out there, it's actually UTF-16, which is the two-byte Unicode stuff.
1: And therefore, UTF-8 is a one-byte Unicode?
6: Yeah, UTF-8 is... Well, UTF-8 is actually a somewhere between one and five bytes, depending yeah. on how you do it. Okay. So it's one of these in encod- one of these encodings where you can look at the high order bit on a byte and know whether or not you have the first byte in a character or not, and well know which byte in the character you're looking at. Wow! And the reason that's important is back in the days when we had just the old um, DBCS, mm-hmm. you had to actually walk back to you had to walk a long way back the string if you wanted to do left arrow to find the beginning of the next character. Because hmm. you could look at a byte and not know whether it was the first byte in a character or not.
1: And UTF-8 is, uh, uh, XML is UTF-8 most of the time, isn't it?
6: Right, because everything that's in all the English characters, so the lower 127 ASCII characters, right. are actually um, represented as one byte in utf-8 so x xml does a pretty good job of compressing that hmm. it may be the only thing xml does a pretty good job of compressing but <laughs> yeah it it's done that way because otherwise you end up sending twice as much data
1: yeah and that's bad so so <laughs> the, especially with xml i mean it's not like it's bloated enough already exactly but uh so, yeah, I love the encoders you were talking about. Um, there's there's a couple of different things. There's the convert class, mm-hmm. right? And convert class has, like, the base64 string array stuff conversion in it. But that's not in, like, system.txt. There's not, like, system.txt.base64 um, um, encoding. Yeah, base64
6: isn't – base64 is really more designed to take binary data. Yeah. To make it printable. It to be a string.
1: Okay. So it's not so, really a an internal type, data type, it, really.
6: It's not really. It's string. Um, yeah. We thought about writing an encoder for it, but it just doesn't behave enough like text all the time to have that really make sense.
1: So basically, if you use EBCDIC, you're screwed with .NET.
6: <laughs> you know, I think we actually looked at EBCDIC, and I don't even remember <laughs> what we decided.
1: I can't believe when I was in college they were still talking about EBCDEC, some guy with, you know, pointy glasses and no hair and, you know, looked like a pear, you know.
6: But weren't you still programming on punch cards?
1: No, no. This was back in the days of Quick Basic, actually. And I, I told – they giving you a hard time. Well, uh, actually, that's a valid question, you know. I don't know. Um, yeah, But, you know, it was weird. As my teacher, I told her that I was doing some really good stuff with Compiled Basic and she goes, oh, shh, don't say basic. Don't say basic.
3: <laughs> Shh. They'll, they'll kill you. Don't say that. You know?
1: So, and she was teaching COBOL, of course.
3: Uh, oh. Yeah.
6: Although, I have to say, when we first announced .NET, one of the, I was down at the show at the PDC in Orlando when we announced it, mm-hmm. and one of the attendees I was talking to down there was most psyched about the fact that he could now have his VB programmers and his COBOL programmers work together.
1: Yeah, well, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Carl. <laughs> you know, that whole multi-language thing seemed a lot more important
2: when .NET came out than it is now, didn't it? It's cool. It's it's nice to have it is everybody cool. running against the same the same framework, right, In the same runtime. The, but, the scary yeah. thing, in my opinion, and I'm just jumping in right now uh, because it's kind of hitting close to home to something I've been thinking about lately is that nowadays, you know, well, not nowadays yet, but in 2005 in Whidbey, you're going to be able to mix languages, you know, like within the same project. And uh, I think that's right. taking it overboard. I'm not a fan of that um, at all, really. But it I seems... Th- I, think, I, I think there's yeah. a point in which, obviously, being able to mix languages within a solution or, or you know, being able to consume the DLLs produced in one language in, uh, in another application or in another language is cool. But um, actually having the same language or two different languages in the same project is scary.
6: Yeah, I actually think we're seeing more people move to the idea of doing multi-language development sort of at a company grade stuff. But it's dual
1: language, really, right? I mean, hmm? what I'm talking about is all the, you have C Sharp and Net, and that's multi-language, but I'm talking about all the zillions of other languages that seem kind of silly
2: right now. But anyway, continue with your... Uh, no, there there are people who really want this stuff though. I've got I've got a buddy who works at one of these Cobol.net companies. Ian White. That's not the company. That's the buddy. And people get really excited when they see this stuff. They just get thrilled when they find out they can do dot network in Cobol. Um, it seems weird to us, but there are people out there who really want it. Not saying that I'd want to see like Cobol.net mixed in with any of my projects, but obviously there's there's a real market for that. I guess. That's, yeah, there is.
6: And there's a lot of people that are playing around. There's, what, 30 different languages more than? Actually, I saw
1: around. 50 last year. I saw a list with 50 last year, so that was... It's got to be more than that now.
6: But, I mean, that number has gone up a lot since we started out four years ago. So, clearly, people are finding markets for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then even... Uh, you know, well, actually, I guess this doesn't quite fit into the same group, but like Iron Python, for example, you know, that's a, that's a great project. That's a really exciting project. The idea of being able to, you know, eventually, uh, embed a Python interpreter in your .NET application is great. I don't know if, you, I don't know how much work you guys have, You either one of you guys ever done anything with Jython? Jython, either one of you, the, the Python implementation runs. talking to me? Runs, no. Yeah, either one of you, it's, it's the implementation of Python that runs on the, uh, that runs under Java, it's incredible because you wind up in a situation where you might be doing, uh, you might be coding on an AS400 and all you've got is Java to work with, or some other weird, freaky language. But you've got Java, and maybe you don't need like all the complexity and power of Java, and you just want to use a scripting language. And nobody makes the scripting language you want for the AS400. And the scripting language you happen to want is Python, so you just get Jython, and you can actually run it on the AS400, right? I mean, having having multiple languages that target the same runtime. Can be really advantageous in yeah. some cases. It's one of those things where when it's what you need, it's like a lifesaver. That's true. I guess that's true.
1: Yeah. Uh, here's taking it to the extreme. Go to shrinkster.com slash one w u, and you'll see uh uh Vixo.dk has an I- a- 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 assembler to IL compiler. Oh, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> assembler so can, to IL. Yeah. So you can write your net code in assembler. And then it will compile, you know, as a .NET assembly, basically, and go back to IL, and then yeah, there you go. So, you know, if you were one of these hardcore Assembler programmers and you don't know anything but Assembler and, you know, that G whiz, that's what I write my applications in, you can, you know, take advantage of web services, for example.
6: You know, for all <laughs> those people that have a burning need to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, anyway, Jay, um, We're going to take a break and play some music and pay some bills, and we'll come back on the other side of the hour, and we'll start talking about your current uh, fascination and your current job, which is uh, talking about VB.net. So uh, stick around. Look forward to it, guys. All right, we'll be right back.
5: Gone away the fireflies That I saw from my brother's eyes Gone away the summers of my dreams. Racing cans down Irving Street, safe and warm in the evening heat. Someone always. Trade you a Steely for that candy bar, sleep in the back of my daddy's car. I know he'll tuck me in. 16, I drove that car Fire away so fast, so far Try to find someone else Who thinks like me Who do I turn to? Who can I trust? The house next door has an impenetrable Such a big neighborhood and yet so- True. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I thought, uh, I thought I'd thought i play some music live in the studio tonight. I've sort of been in this um, mood where I've been into playing the sort of the sweet songs, you know. And I don't get to do that very much on the show. Usually when I play, I'm doing some blues or something like that. But, you know, I've written a lot of really uh, kind of sweet little tunes, kind of like Dream Factory and some other things. This was actually a song that I wrote for my brother's son who was the first child to be born between myself and him and our respective wives and um, Alec was his name and I got word that he was born and I was just really, really blown away and I went back to my uh, desk and wrote this song and I recorded it as a WAV file and I uploaded it to them and they were listening to it when they got home from the hospital so this is called The Great Crusade
5: Not too long ago there was a man who helped me
1: Here we go, talking about our favorite guys up there at Data datadynamics.activereports.net. I was just just teaching uh, in my ASP.NET class this week, teaching somebody the difference between, like, say, crystalreports.net, SQL Reporting Services, and activereports.net. And uh, the basic difference is with those first two, SQL Reporting Services, Crystal, Crystal Enterprise, You basically have a server dedicated to reports that you're going to be pulling lots and lots of complicated data and serving up to thousands of people. But uh, that's not what Active Reports is all about. Active Reports is about putting the report code right in your assembly, uh, utilizing Visual Studio internally, and uh, being able to provide real cool-ass reports in uh, ASP.NET or Windows applications, Windows Forms applications. And uh, PDF, no problem. HTML, no problem. And the Windows Forms uh, version also has a designer, which is cool. You can let your, uh, let your customer design their own and, con- and customize their own reports. So uh, Active Reports is made uh, possible by Data Dynamics, of course, which is a great supporter of .NET Rocks, of .NET Rocks the movie. Coming out soon to a theater near you, and uh, we'd like you to go do us a favor and go up to their website to check their stuff out. It's at www.datadynamics.com, and it isn't going to break the bank either, folks. It's a very affordable stuff. So, we're uh, before we get back to uh, Jay, we have a, a couple of things to do here from uh, his home in somewhere in Connecticut, not in the studio, is our good friend Kirk Webb with the Weird Wide Web.
7: Utterly
4: amazing.
1: How you doing, Mr. Kirk?
7: Good, very good. How do I sound?
1: I sound good. You know, not as good as when you're here by our
7: side, but we have uh, I like your right. songs. You guys are uh, you're incredibly talented. It, you you are correct, though. You guys have been very sweet lately.
1: Yeah, we've been on the sweet side.
7: It's soft and contemporary. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> his mother was a prostitute. His father's got both <laughs> legs sheared off in an automobile accident. Now his Carl singing, Daddy, don't you run so fast? <laughs> all right, I have a um, kind of a Halloween theme tonight. Okay, um, very good. The first. Uh, is uh, all of these by the way have been contributed by loyal uh, .NET, uh, rocks and weird wide web listener. Um a single listener? <laughs> no, we have several. Um <laughs> my one my one true fan. And uh he is uh, my principal contributor to these sites and he's uh, all right. very very good.
4: Alright. The first
7: site is Frencher dot com forward slash one W R. And uh let me know when you're there. That's one wr. What in the hell? Oh my god! That is a cake. It's made out of chocolate and cake that and icing. Is really,
2: really gross.
7: That oh, is man. awesome. Imagine that, like oh, at a Halloween oh, party. That disgusting. <laughs> oh, oh my god. That is so. Even the one at the bottom, the zombie cake. It's all candy and cakes and whatnot. It's pretty cool. Oh yuck! <laughs> if you click on the link, the entire thoracic <laughs> cavity cake. They show you how to um, how they made it. It's uh, pretty intense. Jeez.
1: So these are disgusting cakes.
7: This is like a rib cage with entire entrails and serrated cool. organs just laying there, covered with red <laughs> icing. It looks fantastic. It's
1: really, <laughs> really horrible.
7: <laughs> Happy oh, Halloween. God.
1: Good lord! <laughs> Wait, I got to go to page two here. That's great. Let's see what? What are what are these white things with the red blotches in
7: the middle? This yeah, are yeah. Uh, right. Those are the ribs. No, oh, 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 no! Those, um, oh, yeah, I it. those that, are oh. sort
1: of like you know the pieces.
7: Yeah, I think yeah. that's how we made certain pieces of it. Yeah, all right, but that's, uh, that's just <laughs> wow. I thought, what are those? Oh, the uh, rib cage is made out of like uh, dried white chocolate. That's cool. <sighs> oh, Good Lord.
4: Yuck! Wow, that's wow.
7: Cool all right, man. What's next? Uh, okay, yeah, not a grosser. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one. Uh, this this is inspired. This inspired me like the Tron guy inspired me. This is com forward slash 1WT. That's 1WT, and you're going to have to scroll down a little bit and wait for some of the pictures on the right to uh, show up. Remember how the Tron guy sat there and made yeah. his costume and showed you how he made everything? <laughs> right, right, this right. guy went nuts <laughs> for <laughs> Gimli of the Lord of the Rings.
4: Oh, God.
7: Yeah, he went nuts. If you click on the li- links on the left, the Gimli's chainmail and armor and gauntlets and belt and tunic and helmet, he he uh, he went nuts. Yikes. That's a lot of That's a lot of work.
1: I want to see what this guy really looks like. There's a link that says here's what I re- Oh jeez. <laughs> where is this? It says this is what I really look like. Oh my god. It's a girl.
7: Hey, where, where's that
8: link, Carl?
1: I can't it's find a, it. It's a girl. It, thir- oh my god, you're a girl. For reference, here is what I really look like. <laughs>
2: okay. ah! Oh. She's a woman. Wow. 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 At the top or the bottom of the page?
7: It's, um, it's in the middle. It's towards the top, uh, it's like a uh, third paragraph. My okay. favorite part of the costume was. Right. Oh, boy. Wow. Huh. Whoa. So that, <laughs> whoa. That, that slipped kind of by,
2: curious, by you, right? Battle dwarf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that slipped by you, Kirk?
7: Yeah, I didn't, oh, wow. didn't catch a bark, Surprise. Wow. I was just pretty I was just pretty impressed actually with all the it's very, I mean, it's I've very never impressive. gone that far in a costume. i mean, she, we should face it.
1: Anyways. She might be in the uh Society for Creative Anachronisms, which is uh-huh. you know the I SCA? like the site
7: too, Stitchin' Babes. Yeah. It kinda kinda struck me actually that this guy would dress up and go on Stitchin' Babes dot com, so now now it makes, sense. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Okay, the last one is kinda weird, but it's actually more really cool. Uh Shrinkster dot com forward slash one W S and I hope uh um Mr. Campbell didn't do this one already. That's four slash one WS. Okay. And what these guys did is they made a robot out of Legos. Yeah, that's not only really cool, but this robot can play the first level of Super Mario Brothers perfectly.
1: Oh my God!
7: They sat there and recorded every click and jump and move <laughs> and timed it and put it on a chip. And then this robot will sit there and play it perfectly, and it sits there and it does it like a thousand times. Wow. How cool is that? <laughs> How much time wow. do you have? Really? I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah.
7: What Ooh, did you
1: do DC. over your summer vacation? I made <laughs> a robot that yeah, plays man. Super Mario Brothers. It's a
7: girl robot. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, there you go. Utterly amazing.
4: Horrible. <laughs>
7: Kirk, are you excited about Mondays? I'm very excited about Mondays. Actually, I'm I'm uh, a little a uh, little nervous, but I'm uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to talk a little more. But I got to relax. I'm thinking about um taping more taking more opium actually rectally, <laughs> and hopefully that'll loosen me up.
4: <laughs>
7: <laughs> and, more uh,
1: opium? Uh, you're not getting enough opium right now, is? Yeah, that it? well,
7: you know it's it's uh, no. Not quite enough, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll work on that, and then All I right. think we'll uh, we'll be good.
1: Well, I can't wait. So uh, I'll talk to you uh, next week, my friend.
7: You guys have a nice weekend. You too,
1: Jay. You still there?
7: I absolutely
1: am. All right. Well, uh, I want to I want to talk to you, but I just want to make sure you were still there. Uh, have you heard the show recently?
6: I've heard bits and pieces of it, but haven't heard the whole thing recently.
1: Okay. Well, we've been doing this segment recently, uh, and it's going to go on to uh, Mondays. But I just wanted to make sure you were there so you could comment on this. Uh, this is called Ask Rory, where, well, here's the music.
4: Truly really insane music.
1: It's about the cheesiest music we could possibly find, but anyway, this is where Rory Blythe answers your questions about life, relationships, jobs, uh, code, anything at all that your your little heart is fretting over. Send those questions to Rory at neopolian.com, dot com,
2: and he will answer them on the air. And without any further ado, here's Rory. So this is uh, this is a continuation of last week's. This is Tobek, who uh, who wrote to me last week, and he was really upset about all the my stuff in VB so I told him you know that he could just go get lost and attach chromium tip tweezers to his nipples twist himself and and get stuck (laughs) in the bottom of a Siberian well so what he wrote to me was dear Rory thank you for your wonderful advice last week I'm now emailing you from the bottom of a Siberian well with chromium tip tweezers (laughs) attached to my nipples your suggestions were perfect preparation for my move to C sharp sitting in an icy cold water up to my armpits for three days is exactly like coding in a case sensitive language two new questions for you when C-Sharp gets at it and continue, will I be able to remove the chromium tip tweezers? And how the f*** do I get out of the well? Many thanks, Tobek. P.S. Please answer quickly, as the battery on my laptop is nearly dead, and my teeth are chattering too much for me to yell for help.
6: I'm just wondering what's going to happen when the battery on his laptop makes contact with the water, makes contact with some of those creative metal pieces you had him attached <laughs>
2: That's actually kind of a good idea. I hadn't even thought of that. You could probably make some sort of like a USB power attachment for the Chromium tutorials. Right. I really hadn't thought of that. Yeah, like and uh, to be clock. honest, I don't. I don't even know where to go with this one. Um, <laughs> Tobek has has out. He's just simply stumped me. The best I can do is suggest that he just start digging and and see where he comes up <laughs> on the other side of the planet, but I really don't even know where to go with this with this one from Tobek. <laughs> Tobek's letter exists very pleasantly just for itself. I'm going to concede this round of Ask Rory to <laughs> Tobek. I may have kicked his ass last week, but this week Tobek cleaned up the floor with a little bit of me. Oh, um, man. The, the, the C-sharp editing and continue and, and so on and so forth is, is just sort of stinging, <laughs> I have to admit, a little bit of defeat in this one. It's going to happen occasionally. Tobek, congratulations. <laughs>
6: I don't know. Um, C sharp users, I'm sure, are delighted to be getting at it and continue.
2: I'm not. Uh, uh, yeah, probably. If only they were getting my. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, but we can use my. I mean, can't we?
6: You can use parts of my.
2: Because my is actually my. two things. Okay.
6: Um, there's sections of my that are shortcuts into the .NET framework. So things like my .dot .computer .dot .dot Right. That's a shortcut into the .NET framework. So if you actually imported um, Microsoft.VisualBasic.dll or imported the Microsoft.VisualBasic namespace,
4: mm-hmm.
6: and you could go use that type of stuff from within C although you wouldn't have my as the keyword at the top. Um, but hmm. there are other things like settings and resources and web services and that type of stuff that's generated on the fly um, in the background for you. So that's specific to your project, and C Sharp isn't going to have that part of my.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow! Okay. So wow! Oh crap! <laughs> I've been thinking the whole time that I could just like set a reference and start using it. Um, well, while we're talking about that, you want to talk about the refactoring story in Would be for VB? Yeah, I'd love to hear that.
6: Um. Well, in in two thousand five, VB is going to have the renamed symbol refactoring, and we took a look at adding some more of the other refactorings, because we've heard from people in the community that they'd love to have some more of them, and it's just the type of thing where we took a look at doing
2: it, and we just can't make it work. So so what you're telling really? me is, is that C Sharp developers get part of the my namespace, and VB developers get some of the refactoring abilities of C Sharp. Hmm. Bam. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I felt I felt one up there for a minute and I thought I had to, you know, um kind of strike back a little bit. I'm a C sharper. So and I was totally I was totally bummed about not getting the my name space, but as long as we get something in there to make up for it.
6: We're actually looking at in V B, looking at working with a few partners to see because we know people want it. So how can we um get it, and it's also a high-priority item for us to add in the next version after would-be. Let me
1: ask you this. You At- said that you just couldn't do it. Does that mean technically it wasn't possible to do the refactoring stuff? Which it, seems odd to me.
6: No. Te- well, technically anything's possible. Right. But it's a combination of... Time. How do we, how do we deliver VB2005? Mm-hmm like when everybody wants it. And the, me- the main message, I've just come back from this VB user group tour where I've been, we've had people go to about 40 cities around the world.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And the main message that we get when we demo 2005 is ship. Yeah, And so it's a combination of what's the cost of doing it in terms of the technical aspects, but also what does it mean in terms of the overall schedule? And when does that mean you can get VB 2005? So we just, as with anything, when you start getting, as I mean, your listeners are all software developers, and when you start getting down to the short strokes of any project, you end up making some of the decisions for what's in and what's out, and we just, it was one of those things where we really wanted to make it work, and it just doesn't for this version, and we're looking at it as a high-priority item for the next one.
0: Editor's Note. Sorry, but uh, for the remainder of the show, Rory's going to be sort of switching back and forth between the high quality you're used to and just a phone quality uh, for some magical reason involving gnomes and uh, extraterrestrials. Fairy dust. And and Halloween. Yeah, uh, definitely Halloween. Yeah, we thought it would be spooky. uh, We uh, accidentally lost some of Rory's high quality
1: tracks. Actually, I think the internet lost some of of Rory's high quality you're saying it we're came not ac- the internet? No, but it came across as...
0: Yeah, so, so we, had somewhere some, it got yeah, we had some trouble. Uh, I mean, uh, the gnomes had some trouble in fairy dust <laughs> and Halloween and stuff. So, All right, uh, enough
1: of that. Let's get
2: back to the show. Yeah. What you do have, though, um, are those uh, 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 code snippet thingies. Well, yeah, we're going to have
6: about 500 of those.
2: Yeah, those those things are like those the are most cool. embarrassing thing for me as a C-Sharp developer because I, I was doing the MS I was doing an MSDN event and it was all about ASP.NET two O, and I was demoing um,
8: I was demoing the IntelliSense expansions in C# two thousand five, and somebody put their hand up and they said, "So are we going to have that in VB?" And you know, I mean, I'm kind of a C-Sharp bigot a little bit, I'll admit it. So I head over to VB and I fire it up and I start using it and I notice that there are no IntelliSense expansions. And I'm like, "Uh, no, sorry." And then uh, I go up to the menu just to see if there's anything else in there, and I see this thing called code snippets, and I said, oh, wait, maybe this is kind of like that. And so I hit one of those, and I drilled down through something like, you know, consume an XML file of a certain type, and
2: bam, like it wrote two pages of code for me. And I was like, yeah, so the bad news is you aren't going to have IntelliSense expansions where you're going to have like an if loop, you know, written out for you, but the good news is that you basically have file application, new application, right? Mm. So
6: We're actually doing a bunch more work to let you get to Whatever type of expansion you want. So if mm-hmm. you want the if loop written out for you, um, we're actually introducing the question mark syntax. Um, that's similar to what C Sharp uses.
2: Oh, okay. The 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 actually, the, pl- the
6: place people should go to check that out is the Visual Basic uh-huh. Team blog. And huh. I am looking for the exact URL. Well, right that's now. okay. We'll find the URL if and post it on it, the, the show. I'm sure you guys can put it on Twitter. Yeah.
1: Before we get off refactoring, um, what is yeah. what does the rename keyword do? I mean, um, I know it renames, so but what, what how does it work?
6: What rename symbol actually does is it's hooked into the compiler because VB has the background compiler that knows everything, that knows all about um, how this is, what all your symbols are. So if you go in and you say rename form one, and you actually have form one in two different namespaces, we're going to know which one you're talking about.
4: Mm-hmm. And we're
6: gonna go rename the form one that's the that's only the correct one, and we're gonna rename it every place. So whether or not it's in the designer generated code or your code or anything, it's just going to work.
1: And that's better than search and replace because
6: Um well million how, reasons, yeah. How many times have you named a variable O just because you wanted to use it once? Right. And then tried to search and replace on that? Yeah. And or you have form one in a couple different namespaces, or you have um, different. um, You might have the same interface implemented on a couple of different classes. Yep. So this is it. Really, just we've all got the tricks that we use. We all try looking for giving our variables weird names, or looking for it with a period afterwards, and so that we can. try and guess yeah. on the search and replace and i gotta say this this is just it kills all those tricks yeah it's just so much better than That's all of cool. that
1: and by the way i asked you that not to be flipped but um just to get you to answer the question for the listeners so. mm-hmm. um by the way uh dave bost for, was saw you at the chicago user group meeting and yeah. the topic came up about microsoft visual basic namespace and he made, you made a comment that uh Some things in that namespace are actually faster than their .NET counterparts. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
6: Um, I think the thing we were talking about is um, if you're looking at things like C-type, which is in the Visual Basic namespace. Right. And C-type is one of those things where we did a lot of work to make sure that it keeps the VB6 functionality. Okay. So the, the, I mean, because we know there are a lot of people that are used to that. Yeah. So for example, if you, and that does a lot more than say convert dot two and 32 would do um, just right. in terms of different types of parsings that it does. So if you're trying to get that same type of behavior as you get with C type, mm-hmm. it's, it's easier for you to use C type than it is to actually go in and um, like try and emulate that using the various net framework calls that you'd have to make.
1: Cool. So is that was that the only thing, or was there a bunch of...
6: Um, that, I think that was what we talked about. Oh, okay. Um, But there are a lot of things... One of the things that everybody's going to notice when they pick up 2005 is just how much snappier a lot of the performance has gotten oh, really? around things like um, IDE startup and just general behavior of the environment. And I know that there are people that have the beta that are looking at it and... There's a couple of performance issues in that that we're working on, Mm -hmm. but I think people are going to see just substantially stepped-up performance.
1: That's very cool. Uh, Fanzu asks uh, from the chat room, he says, can you ask about why we have two or three languages that are very similar with neither having much of an advantage over the other? I mean, VB6 had advantages over C++, but VBnet and C Sharp are the... I'm not going to ask this question. Why do we have two languages? Because we have VB programmers and C programmers. That's why.
6: Yep. And what we're going to see is the languages borrow a lot of the great ideas from each other. Like C Sharp was the team that originally thought about generics, and VB saw that and said, hey, that's a great idea. Right. And the, it was one of the dev leads on the VB team who came up with the idea for the IntelliSense code snippets. Right or code expansions, or whatever you call them. And right. C Sharp took a look at it and said, hey, that's something that our users would really like as well.
1: How much crosstalk is there in general between the two teams?
6: I mean, everybody sits in the same building. They're on the same hallways. Um, they're working together on a lot of the same um, projects. So, yeah. for yeah. example, the just because of what the various teams own, the C Sharp team had actually implemented large portions of the edit and continue functionality, hmm. Even when it was only in VB, so there's a lot of communication between the teams. Can I jump in real sure. quick? Sure. I was just going to say that I think.
8: Uh, I mean,
2: .NET until until 2005 comes out is still basically a version one product, right? I mean with the with the one one uh, edition, but you're probably not going to see a whole lot of difference between the two languages at that stage because, because
8: people aren't really experimenting yet and they didn't have enough feedback to determine what users of each language would really want to be able to do with those languages. right? So with 2005, you know, going forward, there's enough data to say, well, here's what C Sharp developers might want to do a little more often. Here's what VBNet developers might want to do a little more often. Yeah. And here's the places where there's crossover. So and the C-Sharp guys and the VBNet guys look at what the other people are doing. And, and like Jay was saying, yeah, we'll borrow those features. But there are going to be some things that are going to be more useful to a C-Sharp developer and some things that will be more useful to a VBNet developer. Right. And you'll probably see those things build up. And it's not just in the language, but in the environment itself. So you're going to see yeah. IDE changes that are very specific to each language. There's there's a, There's going to be like a whole just... It's going to be a very different feeling when you're developing with one versus the other in in
6: Visual Studio .NET 2005, even beyond the language differences. Well, one of the overriding design principles that we've kept sort of and will continue to keep going forward is that all of the languages will continue to have access to any of the innovation that we're putting in the .NET framework. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to develop an enterprise-grade application, the question isn't can I do it in VB or C Sharp? Because the answer is yes, you can. You can do it in both and it'll be equally productive. It's more looking at how the different types, there are different types of developers out in the world and what's the different coding styles, how do people approach problems, and how do we help people address that?
8: Yeah. I I, I agree with that to a point, but um, saying that that you're going to be equally productive in either language, even outside of taste, I don't know if that's entirely true. And the one example that I always go back to is late-binding. Right. If I'm going to do anything that involves late binding, I'm going to use VBNet. You guys- I'm not going to do it in C-Sharp because I think it's a royal pain in the ass. And I think VBNet has a much better system in place for doing late binding work, and I'm going to be a lot more productive in VBNet even though I am at heart C C-Sharp developer.
3: i got to say
1: here, I think if you come at it from the point of view where you're a developer who could do either, you've already missed the point because there are VB developers. That's what they know. That's what they want to use. There are C, C, I would, I don't know, I'm not going to make any generalizations, but you you have the C sort of language developers that are just more comfortable not using C type and end if and writing, you know, things that take five lines of code in VB in one line. Personally, my personal opinion is I would rather write readable code than, you know, some code that's going to shave off a millisecond in the compiler. You know what I mean? So that's just my personal opinion, but what I'm saying is you have two languages because you have two different sets of developers and the the VB programmers aren't you know most of the VB programmers out there aren't don't have an option to use one language or the other and so why not just combine them all into one language? You got to understand that these these people are going to use VB, that's what they're going to use.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not and like there, yeah.
6: There are people who love VB and live and die by it. And just want to make sure that they can bring their, like, the skills that they have for VB development forward. Uh Uh-huh. And we're doing a lot of work around making sure that, well, 2005 has a bunch of features for people that are looking to get the same feeling from the language that they got with VB6. Yeah. So stuff like my and the code snippets and the, well, the return of edit and continue, which I love demoing on stage because it always gets a huge round of applause. Yeah. And,
1: and the approachability of the environment too without having to save a project and use templates and all that stuff.
6: Yep. And yeah. things like the exception assistant that just yeah, lets that's you great. know what's going on and like what the exception was and actually gives you some help on how to fix it. Like when you get an exception in 2003, the it comes up and it says break, continue, and help. Well, Break a sort of stop now, continue a sort of die soon, and help gives you help on how to use the dialogue, not help on what the exception just was. Right. So, yeah. We think that going forward, the exception assistant, which just says, okay, here's what went wrong, and here's the top three things you may want to try to fix it, um, will probably be very welcomed by developers. I, I think so. But that's in VB and C sharp.
1: Yeah. Hey, let's let's talk about all those untapped and y- as yet sort of uh, as yet non .dot net VB six programmers out there. You know, do you have you guys done any sort of uh, studies? I know that you've you've been asking the regional directors this week. You know what their opinions are of why people have been slow to adopt VB six, and you know there were some really good suggestions out there, some of which had nothing to do with the technology but had more to do with the economy, you know? Um,
6: well, the, the question to the regional directors that we sent out wasn't necessarily prompted by the fact that um, people have been slow to adopt bb.net because we've actually seen pretty decent take-up over the past year, okay. but we just want to make sure that with 2005 coming out, we've got Everybody who wants to move to um, VB. 2005 or vb.net2000 is in position to do it. Yeah. Um,
1: so you were looking for you know reasons and stories and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I got an email from some guy uh, who I think it, no it was, it was a chat. Somebody chatted me and said, um, I, "I hate to break it to you, man, but vb.net's going to die." <laughs> he says, you know, we because his experience in his company was that, you know, they looked at it and they decided to go with C-sharp. Okay. So that was his experience. So – and therefore it's going to die. Yeah. And everybody that he talks to in his realm of the world is – so what I'm asking, you know, and and it, we're constantly telling people that, look, you know, guys like Dan Appleman, you know, write all of the Desaware.net products in VB.net and ship the source code. There's a lot of companies that are using VB.NET out there. Do you have any big success stories about you know, brand name companies that we know that are using VB.NET?
6: Um, there's a few of them. Um one of the ones that we posted on the site fairly recently was Indy Racing League, so the whole the group that runs the Indianapolis 500. Mm-hmm. actually um, just rewrote a lot of the software that the teams use for managing the actual races and managing the cars during the race.
1: Right, and they're using, with, like, tablet PCs and all sorts of cool stuff.
6: Yeah, it's a pretty cool app, pretty complex app. Um was all written using vb.net. Cool. And we've also, just today, actually, I sent over a number of case studies over to the team that writes up the case studies for us. Mm-hmm. So for a bank, an online retailer, um, and a couple of big government institutions. So yeah. I can't talk about those until we've gone through the official case study process and gotten all the releases signed and everything. Yeah. But keep checking out the website because we'll have more of those posting over the next probably two to three months as those get written up. Cool. So there's, there's actually, it's everything from like, Projects that are just fun to talk about, like the Indy Racing League, on up to full-on bank management apps that are being done in VB .net.
1: Hmm. I'm just reading in the in the chat room. Uh, Sahil uh, says he he has an awesome case study to recommend in healthcare to Microsoft, which was done on VB .net. And uh, let's get Sahil on the phone.
6: Yep. So something else that it would be interesting to hear from people in the chat room or people that want to mail in after the show is just what type of case studies that they're looking for so i'll start an entry in my blog just talking about that and people can go take a look at that and just let me know when they go to talk to their managers and talk about vb.net what type of companies do they want because we've got a pretty wide range of people that are using it and much less bandwidth to actually go write up cases on each of them.
1: Yeah, that's very cool.
6: Yeah, and I mean, we've been, as we were out on the user group tour, and this was, we took, we basically took the team and went to 40 cities around the world. We've just finished up with the Asian portion of the tour, mm. and we're about to start on India in about a month. Wow. Which will be sort of the end. We'll, we probably won't do any more, like, full-on go out for three weeks um, with two people and do a, do a city every two days, mm. but we'll continue visiting various user groups. Um,
4: mm.
6: And we got to see, like, some pretty cool applications that were being used by a couple of the banks in Malaysia and a couple of other interesting things as we went around.
1: That's cool. Sahil, uh, are you there?
6: Yeah, I'm
9: there, Carl. Carl.
1: So you have a, a case study that you want to talk. Uh, you recommend to Microsoft.
9: Yeah, this was this was really a billing application for a uh, for a healthcare company. It's really prosthetics and orthotics companies that borders on healthcare because dealt with all HIPAA issues, etc. And this was uh, basically it was quite a complicated application because it had to deal with uh, about 650 disconnected offices uh, all across the United States connected over. Uh, all the way from like fifty six k connections to to broadband ISDn connections and so like disconnected data sets et etc et and dot net this was like the only platform that could make it happen huh. love hearing that what's that I love hearing that oh yeah dotnet is is like so ultra awesome i I've, uh, I've, I've used it in, in like multiple companies uh, and and this this in particular like there was another there's another healthcare-related uh, project that I worked on, which was uh, a, su- a subsidiary of the same company. And this was a <clears throat> .NET-related application running on uh, a, a tablet PC, uh, connecting, com- communicating over uh, an external stimulator device over a Bluetooth connection. It would, it, this is, like, really high-tech. It would send, like, uh, electrical signals directly to your uh, nerves and... and you know, control a few muscles oh, from no. like spinal cord injuries, etc. It was it was really cool. They're, is-
1: they're implanting in VBNET in your body, man. Watch out, <laughs> Sahil. Do you have a URL for that first uh, first thing you talked about?
9: the The case study. Yeah. Well, the case study is probably being done by Microsoft right now. It's not online yet.
1: Oh, there's nothing online about. It? Okay.
9: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And it's good to like and I'd better ask the company before I start putting their stuff online, giving out their names, right?
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's great. Thanks a lot, Sahil.
6: Thanks. We'll
9: Thanks, Sahil. You. All right, bye.
6: We'll see you. Sounds like a pretty cool application. Six hundred and fifty offices.
1: Yeah, I know of uh, one of the one of the success stories that we had on an early on the first success stories uh, series in .dotnet rocks was with a, a company that um, that I trained, and they did a an application that had basically a report server. They were generating reports, and they wanted to have people connect in offices, and there was about 700 locations Mm -hmm. all around the United States. And they would connect through a smart client application that used remoting, and it worked great. And uh, they would spin off a print job, and basically what would happen is this big print server would print out reams and reams and reams of paper, and then they'd have to put it in boxes and ship it to them, this kind of stuff. I mean, not like a report that you would just, oh, I think I'll generate my report now. But, <laughs> but yeah, 700 uh, clients all hitting this uh, server with remoting, and it was working great. And, you know, data sets. Sorry, Rory, but they were using data
8: I heard the data sets, but and, you know, yeah. these things happen. Yeah,
1: data sets and remoting, and, and it works great, and it was an easy... Easy thing to do.
6: Cool. Now, hopefully we can get them paperless at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
6: Unless they had to file the reams and reams and reams of paper.
1: I think that's what it is, that it's like a documentation paper trail kind of thing. Got it. But anyway, Jay, uh, stick around. We're going to have some last-minute words from you after this last bit that we usually do on the show, in which uh, Richard Campbell joins us from Vancouver. British Columbia with a toy or two. It's Richard the Toy Boy.
5: In my room. About the sonic boom. 10 wide.
1: Richard Campbell, how are you, my friend? And how the heck was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? Well, it
3: was. Quite the exercise program. It was basically lose 10 pounds in six days by walking uphill six hours a day and throwing up a lot.
2: <laughs> Jeez.
3: <laughs> wow. Uh, it, was, it was spectacular. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you get
1: a chance to see many toys on your way uh, around the area?
3: Yeah. Uh, Tanzania is a bit of a low tech town, really. So I, I was definitely the gadget central as far as uh, anybody was concerned. Yeah. it was kind of cool to be up thirteen thousand feet and my GSM phone still worked. <laughs> cool. The only problem is that you haven't got enough air to actually talk. So you sort of speak <laughs> two words and then breathe a couple of times, then two more words. And-
1: By the way, Richard, you know I, we really should have you participate a little bit more. But um, how, how have you been listening to the conversation at all? I always do yeah what what do you think about all this stuff?
3: I think j rocks is totally amazing he's an amazing dude, isn't he i I'm just thinking about the number of people that are running j rocks code on a daily basis,
1: yeah, it's true
3: string builder object string come on, yeah, well yeah it's
1: the advantage of working on uh the primitives, yeah, so what do you got for us this week in the old uh
3: bin of yours. Well, nothing to involve genitalia, because I think we've done enough of that lately. But let's uh, take a look at the first toy, which is uh, the good <laughs> just, toy, and one I'm pretty excited you just about. You made me uh, do a uh, spit dot com slash 1WW. <laughs> now, there's been a lot of new robots out there lately. A lot of friendly robotics and a bunch of other companies building gizmos. You got vacuum cleaners and you got lawn mowers. This is sort of a generic robot, but it's PC based. Hmm. So if you take a look at the picture on the front cover there, you can see that there's uh, four half height, five and a quarter drive base because, hey, it runs a PC and it's got lots of flexibility that way. Wow. That's so I pretty cool. This would be kind of cool because you know there's going to be a .NET library for this sooner or later. Right, right. That's pretty neat. Is, is the whole robot a PC, or is it... Uh, Yep. Wow. PC's on board, lots of sensors, all stuff pre-wired. They've got their own programming environment right now, but you know, all that stuff's sort of evolving. What is a toy like You're this cost? You're looking at a little less than $1,000 US for this. Jeez.
1: That's not bad.
3: It's very R2-D2-ish. I mean, you know, it's a toy.
1: It's a $1,000 toy, but still, I mean, just for the computer. I mean, now you have something that you can play games on and does it have like usb ports and everything else
3: oh yeah it means a full-bore mini itx case or a board on board so and yeah, uses a via chipset so that's pretty yeah. awesome yeah you're gonna get usb and everything else and you look at the main picture there; they've got three models showing the center one is sort of a generic model with nothing special on it yeah the one on the left is their multimedia edition so mm. set up for mp3 and playing video and stuff Think r 2 d to help right. me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my, you're my only hope. <laughs> what does it do besides, and the one on the right is yeah. the, the heavy-duty, uh, high-security model. So this would be the one that would be patrolling your perimeter, you know, with a shotgun strap to it. What kind of stuff does it do?
6: RoboCop V1. Yeah. Yeah, that's what she's looking at.
3: Um. Well, it's a hobbyist uh, robot, so what does it do? Whatever you program it to do. In fact, when you buy it, it comes in parts, you got to put it together. Wow. Heathkit. (laughs) Yeah, Heathkit had a robot years and years ago that I couldn't afford. Yeah. But uh, this is a little more advanced than that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, you always have a a really cool
1: toy and a really questionable toy. What's your questionable toy? Well,
3: questionable toys at shrinkster.com. Slash one dot WX. One WX? Yes. And I don't know what it is about Europeans. But this is a German guy who's been messing <laughs> with the bicycle. Sideways bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you sit sideways. I, you know what? You, she just rename this. The subdural hematoma. <laughs> because this is a crack brain case waiting to happen. That's what you're right? going to get. The concussion omatic. Oh, my God. Wow. wow. I'm going to sit sideways on a bike with both wheels moving independently and try and pedal. <laughs>
8: well, look at the way the thing has to kind of brace around his waist. Holy crap, that's dangerous. That is
1: really Have you, have you zoomed in and seen the guy with his Pith helmet. He looks like that. Oh. Rory drawing of you riding the unicycle wearing a monocle.
3: Yeah, he does kind of.
8: That looks really, really dangerous.
1: Yeah.
7: I'm not kidding. The, the one totally on the bottom, the
3: straight ahead bike, is, is is it's more of a normal bike. But again, both wheels steering. Which yeah, is but you know, what's
8: so new about a straight bad. ahead bike.
3: What's weird is the rear wheel turns too. Wow. What if you just
1: fall over? I mean, how? I mean, I can't. You know, at least when you're riding a bike, you're sort of
3: lined up the right way. This doesn't really have anything to balance you out. Well, the neat thing about this is he's carefully put a lot of metal bars in place so that no matter which way you fall, you're going to impale yourself.
1: Right. That's basically what I'm looking at. There's no escape if you
3: fall. You're if you fall backwards, you're you're history. Yeah, it's it's a German thing. Wow. Well,
1: I almost hate to ask, but what is the uh what are we gonna give away this
3: week? Neither one of these toys <laughs> <laughs> uh, these toys are not appropriate for giving away, except maybe the crash helmet.
1: all right, so you're leaving it up to me, You're saying, well, yeah,
3: you take it away, man, okay, I'm, I'm just back, I'm still jet lagged, I got hair on my face, that's okay. Why don't
1: gotta, we? Uh, pick why don't we ask Rory to dip into his marketing closet and see if he can come up with something to uh, to give away tonight?
8: Oh crap! Um, well, let's see. What do I have to give away? What do I have to give away? I actually, I'm still pretty new. Um, what do I have to give away?
1: Well, you could do what you did before. Give uh, one of those. Uh, Special edition of Visual Studio. Well, I'm, I'm
8: supposed to be using those to, to try to drive attendance to the oh, end of the event. Oh, end of it. oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know. I've got a big stack of stuff, but it's all like T-shirts and you know stuff like that. You know, the kind of thing that would be like a really good prize. Um,
1: how about a uh, how about we throw in some swag from .dotnet rocks and you throw in some swag from Microsoft and we put like a care package together.
8: I'll do that. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go through my stuff and I'll see what I can get my hands on.
1: So mine will I'm be, done with that, yes. yeah, I'll, I'll give away a .NET Rocks mug, a .NET Rocks uh, lunchbox, and a .NET Rocks mouse pad. And you can give away a couple of shirts. And uh, you know,
8: Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do.
1: Okay. Here's what I'll do.
8: I will give away a DVD that has um, the Whidbey uh, refresh with uh, Team Systems on it. Cool. And I, it, it all, it'll also have the patterns and practices stuff. It'll be the MSDN DVD for this quarter. And I will give away some custom uh, uh, MSDN clothing. Because Ake and I were talking about um, modifying some of the MSDN shirts in some creative ways. And somebody on the, in the uh, chat room, almost like they're reading my mind, said, Roy, how about you give away um, a G string? And Jake and I have a lot of ideas about what we can do with a box full of MSDN shirts. So we'll give out some custom MSDN clothing, okay. one-offs, that exist only for this person. All
1: right. Why don't you come up with uh, something, a treasure hunt, that uh, the live listeners can go on to to find something uh, to win this prize.
3: All right. Here's your treasure hunt. Okay. On w- the uh, White Box Robotics site, you got to go looking... To find a code name. Now I mentioned three different versions of this robot, and they each have their own code names. So mm. besides the basic one, get me the code name for the multimedia version, and the code name for the security version. And email both of those code words to Carl
1: at rocks at franklins.net d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s at franklins.net the first uh, email I get with the right answers wins the swag I hear Chris we
2: dancing we're dancing all around
4: we dancing at the
2: storm in his tartan man gown
1: Hey, we have a winner <laughs> already. It's uh, Jeremy Blosser. Congratulations, man. You won. Round of applause for Jeremy, guys. I love it when I'm the only one clapping. Well, anyway, Jeremy, you win. You win the bag of goodies in the in the, uh, the MSDN DVD, which also, by the way, includes some Don episodes, does it not?
8: Um, it includes some Donna Rocks episodes yeah. not like, uh, not like tons, but, and, and, but there should be some on there. There's a lot of good stuff on there. There's also, um, a lot of the express products that are coming out. So you got betas of all these different express products. Cool. Cool. So there, there is a
1: lot of stuff. That's awesome. Well, uh, Jay, you got any last minute words of wisdom or, or calls to action to impart on our listeners before we wrap it up?
6: Um, I think anybody that hasn't already gone and downloaded a copy of Express for their favorite language and checked out the 2005 stuff should go check that out. And then if you haven't done it, the MSDN Product Feedback Center, let us know what you think. It You get online bug tracking. You can give us suggestions. You can just let us know what you're thinking, what you think of the product, and what we need to change.
1: Awesome. And that URL?
6: It is at msdn.lab.msdn.com dot product feedback I believe I'll I'll send you the URL and you can post it on the site okay
1: great well on behalf of myself and Rory Blythe out there in Portland, Kirk Webb who called in, Richard Campbell, Jay Rocks and uh, all the listeners all the great fans, Jeff Maciolick in the sound room, this is Carl Franklin saying keep on rocking and hey listen to Mondays it's going to be a lot of fun guarantee it See you next week well, darn
5: boy. Life is hard